This is the 80th episode of Decoding Fox News, and I'm your host, Juliet Jeske. Each week, I watch and analyze a whole heck of a lot of Fox News and then break it down. I watch all the Fox News you'd never want to. Let's get into it. Last week, Fox News, a festival of Biden bashing, some border crisis hysteria, and more Hunter Biden nonsense. This first clip is from, all of these clips are from one show. Sean Hannity did an entire pre-taped presentation on Friday dedicated to one theme. Can you guess which theme? Here we go. Hi, welcome to this Friday special edition of Hannity, Biden's leadership failures. Now we begin with a very simple question and every American needs to ask this question. Are you better off now than you were four years ago? So that was Friday. That's how uh, Sean Hannity basically dedicated an entire hour to something he called Biden's leadership failures. And so the entire thing was a pre-taped episode. Last week was kind of wonky because it was Labor Day on Monday. And so Labor Day included an encore presentation on Hannity and like the best of the five. So two pre-taped shows that I covered. And then a lot of times in the summer, on a Friday, some of the bigger names will also do a pre-taped show. And this was very obviously a pre-taped show. So uh, he started with that, you know, is your life better off? And then he went on and on and on about the economy. But here's the thing. Hannity left out that inflation has been a global problem for months, pretty much since the pandemic. And the U.S. is actually performing better than most G20 countries. The Fox host also downplayed a several month streak of positive job reports and historic low unemployment, along with a rise in construction jobs and a steep increase in the U.S. manufacturing sector. These are things that if the Fox audience knew, <laughs> that would kind of destroy, destroy some of his arguments, especially with the increase in the U.S. manufacturing sector. But Fox doesn't care about the truth. Fox is just going to tell and sell whatever the heck they want. And this, this episode's got a lot of that going on. So then he transitions from, um, this is, you know, I'm showing you two minutes. I'm taking an entire hour. I break it down to two minutes. He transitions from the environment into this topic, which you can probably also figure out instantly. But there is real evidence of bribery, corruption, tax fraud, FARA violations and money laundering. So that's why I call it the Joe Biden money laundering and bribery scandal allegations. You have pictures, you have texts, you have videos, you have emails, bank statements, eyewitness testimony, the FBI 1023 form, government whistleblowers, and so much more. And the DOJ simply doesn't even seem to care. So most of the evidence against Hunter Biden is piecemeal, circumstantial, or unverified. Hunter Biden was an untreated addict who accidentally supplied his father's many detractors with a treasure trove of embarrassing homemade porn videos and images of himself smoking crack cocaine. Republican lawmakers pounced, expecting to find proof of various crimes, but so far haven't turned up much of anything. And it's true. Like, the whole list, I'll go through it. What he says, you have pictures, tax year videos, you have emails, bank statements, eyewitness testimony, the FBI, 1023 form, government whistleblowers, and so much more. It sounds like he's selling something. Like, I'm selling a product to you. This is what the Vegematic has, as he goes down the list. 
And the thing is, is that none of those things actually line up. A lot of it doesn't line up. A lot of it doesn't is not included in the laptop. Uh, the laptop's like fragments of stuff that they can't seem to glue together to turn into anything. The uh, 1023 form is kind of nonsense. The FBI didn't look into it. They're like, we can't verify this. We don't think this is real. They dropped it. And now, you know, James Comer's like, no, no, it's got to be something. You can't just make it into something. you got to have actual proof, and they haven't found any yet. So then he moves on from Hunter Biden into the border crisis. Biden lies and obfuscates nonstop, constantly. Look at the border. Oh, the border is secure. We've been told over and over again. He's done more to secure the border than anyone else before him. There's no crisis at the border, even though Democrats like Eric Adams in New York City, they're now freaking out, as are other towns and cities. Yeah, but it has now been over two years since Biden's disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal, and the fallout now continues even to this day. According to the Pakistani prime minister, the equipment that he left behind, the military equipment that we left behind, is now being used by militants in other countries. But even worse, Biden's utter incompetence, complete failure as commander-in-chief, cost 13 Marines their lives during that chaotic withdrawal. Uh so interestingly enough, uh, Hannity puts the border in Afghanistan kind of in the middle of his little rant, which was, again, an entire hour. <laughs> well, minus commercials, 43 minutes. But anyway... He, um, the border is sort of red meat for Fox. It's the bread and butter. It's what they push all the time. If we had, like I said last week, if we had 91 people crossing the border, they'd act like it was the end of the world. Uh, it doesn't matter. They're going to hype up the border regardless. The border wasn't secure under Trump. It wasn't, we didn't have zero immigration like they pretend we do. That's a complete myth. Uh, the border has been a problem for years, all the way back. You can go all the way back to the Reagan administration. And I would say that Congress is really the source of the reason why the border is such a mess, because the president can only do so much. And unless they have comprehensive immigration reform, which no, neither party has gotten passed for decades, not much is going to change. Uh, so... Anyway, that's my little tangent. And Afghanistan is a weak spot for the president. I think that's fairly obvious. However, Trump put Biden in a terrible position when he weakened our troops, was making deals with the Taliban. Not great. Uh, it was also revealed in the January 6th committee hearings that Trump wanted to pull out even more abruptly than Biden did. The equipment that was left in Afghanistan, some of it was left for the Afghani army, which completely collapsed the second we left which was not anticipated uh, and you just a nightmare. So yeah, there's a lot there. There's a lot in that well you can pull from, but of course Hannity doesn't stop. He keeps going. Uh, it's been 217 days since the toxic train disaster and Joe Biden has turned his back on the people of East Palestine and Ohio. What has happened out in Maui as many Americans are. Um, I could not believe my ears when he said, not once, but twice, no comment. So I tried to show what he was doing there in the edit. Um, visually, this is what appeared on the screen. The mayor of East Palestine next to a Republican representative from Hawaii. So it, this is subtle, and um, Fox has done this since the East Palestine train disaster that was caused by Norfolk Southern, not by the federal government. It has tried to conflate natural disasters with a corporate 
made disaster and they're not the same and we don't want the federal government sweeping in cleaning up and paying for and cup you know cleaning up the mess that a corporation caused now in the case of east palestine what's happening is when the federal government has cleaned something up or they have paid for something the bill goes to norfolk southern and norfolk southern is paying for it that is how it should be done we cannot treat a disaster caused by a corporation, caused by a, a very profitable corporation that has plenty of funds to pay for it, as if it was a natural disaster as what happened in Maui. So next, he takes that, that segment, trans, transitions right into, and this was very, very strange because it didn't make any sense, fossil fuels. It's no secret that Joe Biden hates fossil fuels. He pledged to ban them during the campaign, canceled the Keystone XL pipeline, pipeline on day one. Oh, but Vladimir Putin, of course, uh, his friend and Hunter's business partners from Russia, they got, of course, a waiver. Now he's canceling oil and gas leases in Alaska's Anwar that Donald Trump had just opened up. So I want to do an entire podcast on this at some point, but I just always run out of time because it would take a lot to put all the clips together, organize them, do all the research, and I would probably track down an oil and gas expert. But Fox News promotes the idea that the U.S. oil and gas industry is near bankruptcy, when in reality, the U.S. has been the single largest producer of crude oil since 2013. And according to the Energy Information Administration, the industry is on track to beat the previous record set under Trump by the end of 2023. So we, the oil and gas industry is not hurting. <laughs> they, they would say they were. I'm sure they lobbyists would, oh, we have to drill more. No, they're drilling plenty. We're getting plenty of oil out of our ground. And the taxpayer does not necessarily directly benefit from all this drilling. We, the U.S. government gets fees for when these companies drill, but the profits go back to the multinational corporations. They do not go to the American taxpayer. I laugh as I say this because Trump is always saying that we're going to pay the national debt off with uh, oil that we're drilling from our ground. And that's not how it works in the United States because the oil and gas industry is not nationalized. Even if it were, we still wouldn't get enough revenue to pay off our national debt. That's just complete fantasy. He's making things up He's a madman. Now, I did spend a lot of time on that one section. The rest will move a little bit more quickly. Um, but I wanted to show, if you're going to dedicate an entire hour to trashing our president, that tells me a few things about Fox. They are very, very worried about Joe Biden being the nominee, uh, even though they keep saying he's going to drop out and Gavin Newsom's going to swoop in or, you know, any number of other Democrats. Okay, based on what? Uh, fantasy. Uh and it shows me that they're terrified of Biden because they know Biden has a chance to beat Trump, uh, which is good in some ways, I guess, if you hate Trump. But it also I, I liked including that because it's sort of a, a sampler kind of of exactly how Fox constantly goes after Joe Biden. That's it. Those are the main categories and they just hit him over and over. So at this point, I should give a shout out to my sponsor and my sponsor is the listeners of this podcast and the readers of my newsletter. The newsletter is a written version of the podcast. It includes hyperlinks for all of my sources. This week, there's a lot of them in the newsletter. So if you want to check that out, check my work, see where I got things, read more about any story I mention here, please check out the newsletter that can be found at Decoding Fox News at my Substack channel. That's where you can also become a paid subscriber if you want to help out the 
tiny little me media project that could, which is Decoding Fox News, the one-woman show. You can also become a paid uh, supporter at my Patreon. I try to give you guys extra stuff from time to time to keep you happy, keep everybody supporting this tiny little micro-budget project. And I will say this now, I vow to never be, to go the route of taking a lot of money from one uh, sponsor because I think it's a very dangerous thing to do. I don't want anybody manipulating me or trying to uh, shape my content. I want to be free. I would rather have a bunch of tiny supporters who are giving me $5 a month than somebody who gives me one big check. Because uh, I've seen what happens to people when they go that route, and I don't ever want, I'd rather quit. I'd rather wait tables. I'm not doing that. So just to share that, now we're going to move on. So the next one is um, Trump will be Biden, and we have the polls to prove it. Most of these clips were from Tuesday. For some whatever reason, the network was really pushing this on Tuesday last week. You're going to hear a lot of the same voices that you used to, Steve Ducey, Ansley Anhart. Griff Jenkins was subbing last week on Fox and Friends, so you'll hear him. You may not recognize him. We move into uh, Greg Gutfeld and uh, Judge Jeanette. Why would so many of the Republicans be supporting Donald Trump? Because I mean, he is the clear-cut winner. He's with saying the majority voters. of Republicans, I disagree with that. If you look at the polls, the majority of Republicans want Donald Trump. You know, I think one of the things that Steve just mentioned that's really significant in this poll is that by 11 points, those voters said that Trump, with 51 percent compared to 41 percent for Biden, had a accomplishment, a record of accomplishment, right. had done things. And you just heard a few moments ago Biden talking about that last guy didn't do anything. Well, uh, 51 to 40 says they did it. Also, there are legal issues that hang over uh, Donald Trump. And in the Wall Street Journal poll, a majority of uh, the people who responded viewed Donald Trump's actions after the 2020 election uh, as an illegal effort to stop Congress from declaring Joe the winner. So a majority said, that's bad. There he goes again. Steve Ducey goes rogue. Now, is he doing that on purpose? Is Fox management telling him to do that? Probably. I don't know. I have no proof. I just enjoy it every time he does it. Now, that could be that they're just hedging their bets, so they, like, make Steve Ducey do it because he's been on the show forever. Steve Ducey could just be, like, kind of snapping. Who knows? I like how they were shocked. They were shocked that Trump is still able to be tied with Biden. No, they should be shocked that Biden is still is able to be tied with Trump. Sure, you can keep throwing January 6th out there, but all in all, Trump is still coaching. He's still a human being. He still can use his brain. What you have there is not workable. Biden is barely a figurehead. And what scares me when I was at home was nobody seems to care that nothing is getting done. So I'm not really sure what he's talking about there, but uh, Biden has gotten an enormous amount of legislation passed, bipartisan legislation passed. Uh, also, the summit between Japan and South Korea was actually a very big deal that he helped broker, along with improved diplomatic relations all over the world that kind of were souring under Trump. So a lot has happened. The Saudi Arabian-Israel deal, which might be complete fantasy, but if that is actually going to come together, that would also be a very big deal. So moving on. Same poll that Greg and you mentioned, by an eight-point margin, more voters said Trump has a vision for the future. And elections are about the future. And there is also people saying that they want change. 
Last week, the poll said 77% of Americans think he's too old. This week, it's 73%. So I'm pretty sure that's not an outlier. So Democrats keep wetting your pants. We got at an election. But at this time, mm. when Obama was running for re-election, Romney was up. And look how that turned. I mean, we're 14 months out. Okay. They talk about all of the things that he's done improperly and that would have destroyed any president. But the Democrats so hate Donald Trump. Their, their hatred of him outweighs their love for this country. So they're willing to live with all of this stuff. Judge Jeanine has repeated that before. I would agree with Jessica Tarloff. Chris Hayes did a great segment. You can find this on YouTube, I'm sure, where he goes through all of the polling that's done this far in advance of a presidential election and how wildly off it was. <laughs> so he went year after year after year, and they're like, okay, 14 months out, this is what the poll said, this was the outcome. 14 months out, this is what the poll said, this was the outcome. All of it was wildly off. I would tend to agree with Tarloff. I just think we have so much to go. Uh, American elections are insanely long. Most countries don't do it like we do. It's exhausting, but this is a long game. This is, the election is not tomorrow. So anyway, uh, this one is a brilliant little nugget. And it is uh, Jessica Tarloff correcting Judge Janine in real time. Uh, Odin is on my lap right now. And when I do Judge Janine, I can sometimes frighten my cats. So I have to be a little careful so I don't spook the long, skinny black cat. But I still think my idea of a Judge Janine alarm clock would be absolutely a huge moneymaker. Because fans of hers could buy the alarm clock. People who hate her could buy the alarm clock. And you could have a picture of her with a martini on the front. As she said, I was a prosecutor. And here's the thing. You know, I think it, I think it could work. Another thing. You know, Joe Biden comes out and he has the unmitigated gall to say that Donald Trump didn't build anything. And so what I did was I went in and started looking at all the things that Donald Trump did and built before he became president. And whether it's in License the biggest, let, let me just finish, whether it's in the beginning of his career or right until he ran for president, it is, it is unparalleled. What he did from Mumbai to Dubai, et cetera, et cetera, from Scotland. And then when he was in the White House, he talked about, um, you want to talk about what he built? He rebuilt the economy. You talk about one or two percent of African Americans, they got jobs more than they've ever had under any other president. That's not under true. Let me finish. The black and, unemployment rate and the Hispanic unemployment rate is the lowest it has ever been, and that's under President Joe Biden, not right. Donald Joe Trump. Biden. So, yes, that would be Jessica Tarla for the win. She is correct. And anybody can look that up. It's not difficult to find that number. But Judge Janine has said that before. She's been corrected before. It's like they don't, it's like she doesn't even hear it. She's just going to keep going with whatever she said. Now, this next clip, these two clips are the same day. One happened first, one happened second. But I noticed them and went, wait a second. So there, uh, Eric Adams is the current mayor of New York City, and he's a bit of an eccentric character. I will not give my opinion on Eric Adams as a mayor, uh, even though I live in New York City. I'm just going to say eccentric character. I think that is fair to say. He's like vegan former cop, tends to be a bit melodramatic. Um, and he had made a statement about how uh, New York City was going to be ruined, destroyed by the migrant crisis. And I just was like, yeah, were you here in the 70s? You probably were in the 80s. That's okay. I'm just saying. Like, 
it's uh, not, you know, we always have problems here, but like it's nothing compared to what it used to be decades, decades ago. Uh, and you can find information that would back me up on that. I'm not just pulling that from thin air. But anyway, uh, so of course Fox ran with this. They're like, oh my God, a Democrat said something dramatic about the border. We've got to jump on that and, and milk it for all it's worth. So this starts with Hannity. And then the, the clip after Hannity is actually Steve Ducey from that morning. But you could just hear how they talk about the same issue in two totally different ways. The issue being New York City's public school system uh, taking in some of these migrant children. Queens, New York, well, residents there got a little preview of the coming disaster today. Local schools uh, were completely overwhelmed and inundated by the children of illegal immigrants, uh, forcing some students to move into overflow spaces. Now, apparently, schools were even handing out free backpacks, school supplies paid for courtesy of New York taxpayers to illegal immigrants' children. So you just want to say he's being completely serious there, that Hannity thinks it's tragedy that New York City taxpayers might have to pay for a backpack, pencils and erasers. There's 8.4 million people who live in New York City. I think we can think we can shoulder that burden. Like, housing people, feeding them, that's much harder. But a backpack with, for a little kid, I mean... I think we can I think we can handle that. I think we can handle that. Interesting. Going back to the fact that today is uh, first day of school. Kick in the ed is the cover of the New York Post. They say, according to the Post, the overwhelming majority of the kids who are going to show up in school today are asylum seekers. And an overwhelming majority of the kids were in class last year. So in other words, what does that mean? these kids were in school in May and June. Mm -hmm. So uh -huh. they know these kids. They know exactly what they need. And that's why they hired about 200 teachers to teach English uh, in the last year and 175 who are bilingual. The problem is uh, there are so many other languages other than Spanish that are going to yeah. let me just say. So before I play this next clip, which is, by the way, a bonus clip for the podcast listeners only, I couldn't fit it in the newsletter. It's not that long, but I thought it would be important to include since I do have a little bit more space in the podcast. This is um, Mayor Eric Adams on PBS. Now, I just before we get into this, I'm going to drop some stats about New York City. 36% of the residents of New York City were foreign-born, meaning they were not born in the United States. Only 44%, roughly, of New York City's residents are white. So this is not a typical city of the United States. Um, it's very diverse, lots of immigrants, and it's been like this pretty much since the city was founded. Uh, so given that backstory, what happened is Eric Adams, in a clip, he was very worked up, said that this migrant crisis will destroy New York City if he doesn't get help. He's basically begging for federal help. And I understand that because we do have a migrant crisis. However, I think Eric Adams may have rethought how that may have come across to a city full of residents that a lot of which are immigrants. So this is him a little bit far more toned down on the PBS NewsHour being interviewed by Jeff Bennett. Jeff Bennett is just amazing. Everybody on PBS, I'm a huge fan. They do great jobs with interviews. And I wish I could play the whole thing, but I don't have enough time. This is just a brief excerpt. Let's start with a focus on New York City public schools as classrooms work to accommodate the thousands of newly arrived migrant children, many of whom speak little to no English, many of whom are living in shelters. First of all, how did the first couple of days of school go? 
And then beyond that, how is the city aiming to meet the immense need of school-aged migrant children in particular? Well, it, it went well, extremely well. It's always exciting the beginning of the school year, watching uh, the optimism, some crying faces, leaving mommy for the first time. Uh, but it was extremely, extremely uh, smooth transition ending summer. And you know, when you talk about the 20,000 unsheltered children, a large number of them are migrant asylum seekers. We already had 18,000 last year. We need to be clear on that. And we absorbed those 18,000, and we're continually to do what's right. And, you know, it is exciting when you see a child enter the school system at the beginning of the year, not speaking English at all, but leaving at the end of the year, able to communicate in English, learning uh, new ways of learning and interacting, and embracing new friends. So we're going to continue to do our job to educate these scholars and these young people. Does the city have the capacity and, and resources to do what you say you want to do, which is to help those young people? Uh, we need more. We've been extremely clear on this. Uh, New York City has been carrying its burden for the most part on its own. Uh, we are commending governor and the billion dollars she got in the last budget that we have to spend down on. Uh, but when you look at uh, what is costing the city and not only dollars and cents, but also in man and women power, it is an awesome responsibility. I honestly wish I could have spent more time with this arc because I found it very fascinating how Fox covered it and PBS covered it, but it really wasn't that big of a story last week on Fox, so that wouldn't be fair. I need to show Fox as Fox is, not how as the stories that I want to feature. But um, I would agree with Eric Adams on that one that we probably do need far more resources for New York City. New York City's always stretched thin. Any major metropolitan area is. It's just kind of the nature of it. Uh, but you, you could see how he definitely softened from that comment about, you know, the migrant crisis is, is going to destroy New York City, which he said on camera in a clip in a very dramatic fashion. But if you, but again, to go back, 14% of New York City public school students do not speak English as their first language. There's a plethora, a large amount of Spanish speakers in New York City. So in many ways, uh, any migrant children that make it to New York City are in a very good place, uh, much better place than they would be in a small town somewhere where there is no diversity and nobody speaks Spanish. So uh, the next clip is another incredibly eccentric character, very unique to New York. Uh, this man ran against uh, Eric Adams, the man you just heard, for mayor. This was the Republican candidate. So Curtis Silwall is an activist, radio host, and founder of the Guardian Angels, an unarmed anti-crime nonprofit organization he founded in 1979. Silwall was also the Republican candidate for New York City mayor in 2021, where he received 27% of the vote in a low turnout election. So on Thursday, Silwall appeared on Hannity to express his frustration about the migrant crisis in New York. And I'm just going to play this. This speaks right for itself. Imagine if you happen to be those illegals and you're looking at this. You see, I can't believe the borders are open. I get to stay in a hotel, three squares, iPhone, smartphone. Oh, culturally appropriate food, con arroz habichuela with a chuleta, a pork chop on top. And if I'm not happy, they send Grubhub. If you're an illegal alien, you're joining the invasion, and they are going to overwhelm us. I will not allow that. I am the mayor in exile, like Napoleon on the island of Elba. I will block the bridges. I will stop the buses. We will turn them around. Go back to where you came from. You don't belong here. You're illegal. 
You have held a number of demonstrations. You are now threatening to shut down the bridges in New York City. How real is that threat? Oh, very real. And you've seen this before. And it's truckers who are the most patriotic, the most American. The independent truckers, 18-wheel tractor-trailer drivers, are willing to risk their rigs. They will block every entrance and exit. They will take the keys out, walk away, and say, tough noogies, you're not coming in to our city, our state, and our country anymore. If the politicians won't do it, the people will do it. There's so much in that short little clip. Number one, you are not the mayor in exile if you only got 27% of the vote. You are a losing candidate in a two-party system. Deal with it. Number two, uh, I would say... Fox News loves to show, this is like a feature, this is like a regular, they had a best of on the five of just this type of segment, which would be a radical environmental activist blocking a road or doing some other stunt and then, you know, watching the police come in and arrest them and take them away. And, you know, I could just hear it. Like, if it's, if it, you're blocking a migrant, you're blocking a city, that's good, uh, blocking a road because you want to raise awareness for the environment, that's bad. Because you could just hear Judge Janine, like, watching it. Lock them up! Arrest them! Show up and just show them who's boss. And here's the thing. Another thing I'm going to say. Lock them up. You know, she would say that. She advocates often for locking minors up. But children, that's children. She has. I've seen her do it multiple times. I also want to add the many, many flaws in Curtis Silva's uh, plan there. Number one, how are these migrants? New York City is a borough system. So you have the Bronx, Brooklyn, uh, Queens, Staten Island, and Manhattan. So what bridges and tunnels are you blocking? You didn't mention tunnels. We got a lot of tunnels too, buddy. So you need to block those tunnels as well. So you're saying you're going to block them from coming in from New Jersey? Uh, good luck with that. What, Pennsylvania, Connecticut? What? Long Island, where are they coming from? Where are they coming from? Where are you blocking? And are you just blocking Manhattan? That's only like a million some odd people. Are you blocking Brooklyn? What are you blocking? Brooklyn's connected to Long Island. It's in the same island. There's just like a border at some point. So as is Queens. So you, what are you doing? What are you doing? I don't understand this. That doesn't make any sense. And I'd add as well, uh, you should see what happens to New York City when there's a major storm. <laughs> After Hurricane Sandy, which was about as major as a storm as we get, I'm laughing to keep from crying. Every single store in Manhattan cleaned out. There was nothing left. There's no food. There's nothing. You couldn't buy anything. And I had to, I had a gig where I had to walk from Brooklyn. I had to walk from Brooklyn. It was like nine miles into Manhattan to do this gig. And then I took like a series of buses to get home. I just couldn't take the buses to get, I'd not even worth telling, but yeah, I'd walk like, I think it was 12. I think it was 12 miles. Anyway, it was crazy. And when I walked into Manhattan, this is during the, the Sandy aftermath. There was no food in any store at every store that had food in it had been picked clean because there's 8.4 million people in New York city. Uh, so if you think it's a good idea to block bridges and tunnels into to Manhattan, huh, that's not going to end well, like at all. It's probably going to be a federal crime, too, because you're dealing with a port authority. I don't think that's going to go. I don't think that's going to work for you. And I think you're going to make a lot of people angry. Just saying. Just saying. All those small businesses that can't get deliveries, all those people who can't get food and other supplies. We're an island. We run out of stuff very quickly. 
I tell my sister doesn't believe me. I'm like, you can go to Whole Foods in Brooklyn and they won't have broccoli. Just won't exist. You're like, you've got to be kidding. A Whole Foods, a place that basically is just food on display everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. I've been to Whole Foods and they didn't have baby carrots. They didn't have baby. And I've been like, you got what? It's not the suburbs. They run out of stuff all the time. Look at a Trader Joe's before a storm. Picked clean. There's nothing in the store. Entire produce section gone. Compl empty shelves. That's what happens here. So yeah, anyway, I'm just going on a little rant. Just going, it's true. Ask anybody who lives here. All of this is true. You know, the tyranny of not having your baby carrots. I realize it's not actually a crisis. It's just silly. It's very silly. It's very, it's very uh, first world nation problem, white person problem, but it, it is funny to me. Cause like, if you go to the suburbs, I can't even believe like just the vast amount of everything in a grocery store. And then you come here and you're like, yeah, they only have one kind of that or they don't have it at all. This is the, the, I have taken pictures of the broccoli section at the Whole Foods because there's not a, there's not even a, not even one little floret gone. And it'll say broccoli. And then you look down and you're like, wow, it's little, little, little pieces that have broken off and that's it. You're like, I, how did that happen? <laughs> Brooklyn we're crazy there's too many people who live here it's too densely populated we just we're like we can't help it uh people panic and they'll just buy everything go on a funny little tangent I think this is funny it's darkly funny though so I warn you dark themes during the pandemic um New York City went through a lot we had the highest death rates it was an absolute nightmare there for a couple of months where it was just it couldn't even I can't describe how horrible it was it was horrible and the stores ran out of everything, out of everything. So you'd go to this, I live right by a huge, old, outdated supermarket um, that is amazing, I love it. But I would go to this store and everything was gone. The shelves completely bare and they'd have just a few items and people handled it beautifully. Because we were dealing with such darkness, uh, and we were, when total strangers, every ethnicity imaginable, We'd go to this store. We'd look around. There's nothing there. People are kind of trying to not run into each other because we were all so terrified. We had masks on, gloves on, the whole nine yards. And people would just start laughing. <laughs> they would just start laughing. If you've lived... Because it was so absurd. It was just like, well, I mean, at least I'm healthy. I'm not sick. So I'm going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I'll just pretend these saltines are something better and I'll eat them. It's going to be okay. It's like the same energy after 9-11. We just got past the anniversary, 22nd year of 9-11. Similar energy after Hurricane Sandy, after just weirdly, you'd think it would turn into pandemonium in a densely populated city and the exact opposite happened. At least where I live, it was just people like laughing at the absurdity of it and getting along and helping each other. That's what I saw. Just wanted to share that since this is like weirdly a very New York-centric episode. Um, so... Next up, this is the latest page in the never-ending Hunter Biden story. Um, just wanted to include this very quickly because this is probably the next thing they're going to try to pounce on and make into a big deal when it is not. This is Stephen Miller, uh, the living ghoul that is that human being. I will go ahead and say that. I don't care. I'm not going to hide my disdain for that horrible human being. Oh, God, Stephen Miller uh architect of the child separation policy so yeah not a fan not a fan here we go 
And, and by the way, there's more than that, though. We got 5,400 under pseudonyms that we'd like to get a hold of, all of them, wouldn't we? And uh, aren't these pseudonyms, Stephen Miller, aren't they being used to protect against or to try and hide the fact that Joe Biden was sending them? Yes, exactly. So, as you mentioned, in addition to the emails that were conducted under Biden's own name, you have five, and the names of his senior advisors and staff, you have 5,000-plus emails through a series of pseudonyms. This is what James Comer is going to hopefully be able to get. So we're running these parallel investigations with what I'm doing, what James Comer is doing. But it is my supposition that you will find in those pseudonym emails an elaborate foreign bribery scheme that will be game, set, match for Joe Biden. So Stephen Miller is assuming quite a bit there without any evidence, of course. Uh, the aliases, the pseudonyms, that is a widely done practice that has occurred in multiple administrations by multiple top elected officials. That's not new. And guess where those emails are? The National Archives have them. So they're not secret. They weren't destroyed. They weren't, he didn't use bleach bit. I'm laughing at that a little bit. That's on a, a private server uh, to erase personal emails. They have gotten a hold of some of them and they were all redacted and they got all mad about that. Um, but no, there's no, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I seriously doubt there's going to be a deep, dark secret, a criminal plot if these emails went to the National Archives. If they went to the National Archives, they're not exactly secret. The, the government has them, they know about them. So good luck with that. But they sound very scary, but it's not. Um, so now we're going to move on to stories that Fox News ignored. It is quite the list this week. Wow. So every week I compare the hours I watch on Fox News with five hours of the PBS NewsHour. The following list are stories that PBS covered that Fox News did not. And if we have time, I'm going to include a little bonus clip at the end that was shared widely on social media, but I would love to include it. We'll see how we go in time. Here we go. So this first subsection is dedicated to climate disasters. Um, there's so many of them, they get their own category now. PBS invited Gavin Schmidt, a climate scientist who's worked with NASA, to talk about extreme weather events and the threat humanity faces from climate change. Schools around the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast temporarily shut down due to extreme heat and the lack of adequate air conditioning. The heat index reached near 100 degrees in Boston. The National Weather Service warned residents about the risk of heat exhaustion. After a summer of record-breaking wildfires, Greece experienced extreme rainfall and flooding. 11 people have died due to the floods and six people are still missing. Heavy rainfall caused flash flooding in southern China and Hong Kong. The area had the heaviest rainfall since the country started keeping meteorological records in 1952. Next section, updates in the war in Ukraine. Russia refused to comment if Vladimir Putin will meet with Kim Jong-un of North Korea. Russian drone parts fell in Romanian territory. Romania is a member of NATO. A Russian drone struck Izmal, a port in Ukraine used for grain exports. Moscow said it shot down three Ukrainian attack drones in southern Russia. Voting began for local elections in Russian-occupied districts of Ukraine. Next section, Trump's legal problems. A federal judge ruled that E. Jean Carroll does not have to prove that former President Donald J. Trump defamed her. She only has to prove the damages Trump's defamatory statements caused her. A special grand jury in Georgia 
recommended charges for 21 additional people in addition to the 19 who were ultimately indicted for their efforts to overturn the 2020 election. So the next section is just general stories. According to the International Atomic Energy Agency, Iran has slowed down its efforts to enrich uranium to 60% purity. PBS produced three segments related to the ongoing civil conflict in Sudan and at neighboring Darfur. The RSF Rapid Support Forces has specifically targeted and killed non-Arabs in a form of ethnic cleansing that many experts believe could develop into a full-blown genocide. Since the conflict began, over 3.3 million people have been displaced. Thousands have died and over 20 million are approaching a crisis level for food insecurity. Leaders from Kenya, Ghana, Tanzania, Rwanda, the U.S. and the EU held the first Africa Climate Summit in Nairobi, Kenya. Although African nations only produce about 2 to 3% of total carbon emissions, the continent is the most vulnerable to climate change. Steve Harewell, the singer of the band Smash Mouth, died at the age of 56 of acute liver failure. Multiple school districts across the country are experiencing a shortage of bus drivers due to drivers retiring and low pay. PBS produced a segment about the shortage of pulmonary specialists in many rural communities. A new law in Illinois protects earnings miners make from work on social media. China's largest real estate developer managed to stave off a default. Three federal judges shut down Alabama's last redistricting plan, finding it did not fix a likely violation of civil rights law. The federal court assigned a special master to draw new districts. The Supreme Court previously ruled that Alabama's district lines likely diluted the electoral power of black voters. 61 people were charged in Georgia with racketeering charges related to protests over a planned police and firefighter training facility in the Atlanta area critics have called Cop City. PBS produced a segment about the rise of domestic violent extremists in the U.S., many of which are based in anti-government and or white nationalist ideology. As the UN World Food Program has faced a funding shortfall, Afghanistan will lose much needed food assistance. The Taliban takeover prompted the US and other countries to freeze an estimated 7 billion of the country's foreign reserves. Senator Tommy Tuberville continues to single-handedly delay 300 military nominations and promotions over his attempt to change the Pentagon's policy on reproductive rights. PBS produced a segment that featured a career of tennis superstar, Billie Jean King, and her fight for equal pay in the sport. The Royal Spanish Football Federation, RFEF, has fired Jorge Vilda, the coach of its Women's World Cup team. Jenny Hermoso, a player on the team, along with the Spanish prosecutors, accused RFEF president Luis Rubales of sexual assault over a non-consensual kiss he forced on her after a winning game. Israel and Saudi Arabia continue to work on a deal brokered by the U.S. that will improve relations between the two countries. One major demand by the Saudi kingdom is a significant Israeli concessions to the Palestinians, including transferring parts of the West Bank to Palestinian control. Mexico decriminalized abortion in all 32 states. Two workers have been detained after they used an excavator to widen an existing gap in the Great Wall of China as a shortcut. The government has said the damage was beyond repair. 
In a review of FAA reports and a NASA database, the New York Times found an increase of near misses of commercial airlines. Researchers found an increased role of churches and religious groups in the abuse and neglect of Native American children housed in boarding schools for over a century. Peter Navarro, a former advisor to President Donald J. Trump, was found guilty of criminal contempt of Congress for defying a subpoena from the House Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States. The ruling party of Mexico selected Claudia Scheinbaum as its nominee for the next presidential election in 2024. Microsoft researchers have reported that China is using AI to make fake profiles on social media and attempt to influence U.S. elections. Japan launched an unmanned rocket carrying a moon sniper, lunar lander, that should reach the moon by February. Democracy is under threat in Tunisia as Kais Sayed, the president of the northern African country, has persecuted and jailed his political rivals, wrecked the economy, and caused many to flee the country. PBS produced a segment about how many schools are losing free lunch programs for needy children as federal funding from COVID-19 programs run out. The IRS has said that it will pursue cases involving 1,600 millionaires who owe back taxes along with 75 large business partnerships. The Biden administration proposed new rules for nursing homes that would increase the amount of time each patient spends with a nurse and nursing staff. Four black American tennis players, Coco Gauff, Francis Tiafo, Madison Keys, and Ben Shelton, reached the quarterfinals in the U.S. Open. It's the first time that has happened in the sports open area, which began in 1968. And they were sure to include that this happened at Archer, Arthur Ashe Stadium, and he was also a black player, and that was very amazing. Uh, that segment... That segment was very sweet. Um, so by the numbers, we do have time. I'm going to play that clip, I think. Uh, let's go. By the numbers, this is where I turn the top five topics of each PBS and Fox and compare the two. Top five for Fox, 14%. Biden bashing, 11%. Hunter Biden, 7% was the Gavin Newsom interview. That was a encore uh, performance because it was, you know, they just played it again. That was on Monday. Border crisis, 7%, and Trump versus Biden, 5%. So not a much going on, but this, a lot of the same thing. PBS NewsHour, top five topics for the week ending. And I'm going to point this out. Uh, I always cut my end of my week on a Sunday. Somebody last week gave me something on a Monday. So today, this newsletter covers everything until September 10th. If you, if you say, hey, what about this clip from September 11th? I'm going to go, that's next week. Just thought I'd include that. I always end the week on a Monday. This uh, newsletter goes over one week, not two, just one week. Always ends on a Sunday. So PBS, top five topics for week ending, September 10th, 2023. Civil conflict in Sudan, 8%. Trump legal problems, 6%. Border crisis, Eric Adams, New York will be destroyed, 5%. Israeli and Saudi Arabia deal, possible, because that's a big question mark, 5%. And then extreme weather, that's a bunch of climate uh, events, 4%. And then the words used on Fox News for the week ending, September 10th, Biden, devastatingly crazy at 512. It's huge. Trump, 182. Hunter, 110. Border, 83. Migrant, 61. China, Chinese, only 39. Crime, 37. Labor, 35. Palestine is in East Palestine. 
24, Afghanistan 20, inflation 19, Obama 19, trans 15, bribe 13. Bill Maher got mentioned 11 times, which I didn't include a segment about him because, oh, come on. They kept calling him a leftist, and I'm like, okay. I don't think he identifies that way, but you can call him that. Hillary, as in Hillary Clinton, five, and AOC, as always, one. She gets always. If she's not on the list, I'm, I'm worried. Uh, so that's by the numbers. I'm going to play this last bonus clip. Uh, this was one of the first ones I've tried to do some video. I'm experimenting with video. I won't get into why. We'll talk about that later. Uh, this is Hannity and then my reaction. I'm just going to play the whole thing. This did very well on social media. So for context, uh, Hannity's talking about Jen Psaki getting a new, like, time slot on MSNBC. She's sort of taking over a show one day a week. And she's now getting her very own, she got her own weekend show at MSDNC. I saw that. Okay. No. And now she's going to do a one night a week show, uh, I guess, Monday night or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So Circle Back mm -hmm. <laughs> gets rewarded. Now, that network is full of people that for three years. Yeah peddled nothing but lies uh -huh. and conspiracy theories. Russian collusion, you know, all, buried the laptop. Adam Schiff. No. Hey, Sean Hannity, so I just, you know, you just said with a straight face that MSNBC promotes lies and conspiracy theories, and you're entitled to your opinion. But I just want to remind you that the company that you work for, Fox News, paid out the largest defamation suit in the history of defamation suits. It was three quarters of a billion dollars to Dominion voting systems. And you pay this out according to uh, court documents that were released to the public because your network knowingly spread false stories. Yeah, for the sake of ratings. So self-awareness is something that we all kind of uh, hope to get one day. And I'm just saying, you could use some. All right. So yeah, that was sort of my attempt to bring a little bit of the podcast into some of my videos. We'll see if that keeps working. I have no idea. I, to do videos, a lot more work, and I don't have any time. I'm always working. Uh, I might be working with a new organization. I'm not sure yet on some videos. I'll keep you posted. Again, it's a time issue. I have no time. I work constantly. But we'll see what happens with that. Again, if you would like to support uh, Decoding Fox News, you can become a paid subscriber. At my Substack for Decoding Fox News, you go to my Patreon at Decoding Fox News. You didn't have to listen to uh, an ad of me talking about some supplement or a kitty litter or, you know, I hey, I don't begrudge anybody who gets ads. I just don't have them. So, But you didn't have to listen to them. Just me rambling. That's all I had to listen to and talking about my cats. Odin was on my lap at one point, so you kind of talked to him. My uh, podcast mascots, Odin and Thor, would like to send their love. They're currently obsessed with the top of my refrigerator, which is dangerous and insane. I can't stop them. They're cats. You just live among them. You don't tame them. You live among them. It's probably why I like them so much. I will see you at the next podcast. Thanks so much for listening.